Welcome to the 0400 Podcast, the podcast for dreamers. Good morning. Good morning, boys. Gutentag. Oh, that's pretty good. Right? Is that that's <laughs> I think that means good morning. Yeah. There we go. Speak another language cool. there. Yeah. Guten Tag. So which part of that is is Tag morning or Guten? Guten's good. Good. So Tag means morning. Yeah, but gluten's bad. <laughs> is it? No, I'm just kidding. I love gluten. All right, so it is 4 a.m. Central Time, March 15th. 18th. 18th. Oh, man, I got to update my watch. March 18th. <laughs> wow, it has been a blur. Yep. 2022. St. Patty's Day was yesterday. That's right. Totally missed that, too. <laughs> I did not wear green. I did. Happy St. Patty's Day to the Irish among us. We were just talking about 23 and me. I just got my results back. Are any of y'all Irish? You have Irish? Stuff? Quite a bit, actually. Jeans in you? Yeah. Medium amount. Yeah. Doesn't every a lot white of mine person, is, though, have Irish like every, in them? Yeah, I feel like every white person has some Irish in them. Well, cheers. Yeah. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Yeah, you too, man. Do y'all have, Do you happen to know anything about St. Patrick? I actually do. Yeah, we just learned about that we yesterday. We learned about it yesterday. Really? Well, I would be interested to hear... Before, I mean, I, not to digress, but since we're here. Well, honestly, it it has a little bit to do with what we're talking today. Direction. Perfect. You know? Yeah. Um, he was, there uh, are pirates involved. Yeah, there are pirates involved. So he was kidnapped. He was born in 402, I think, 402 AD uh, in Britain. When he was 16, he was kidnapped by Irish pirates and sold into slavery, right? And um, for, I don't know, several years, he was working as a slave and then he got a vision from the Lord about a ship that was coming, and he went and got convinced the guy to take him on the ship. And then I guess he came back, right? And when yeah. he came back, they were they were like walking through the wilderness. They thought they made it back to Great Britain, but they didn't make it all the way back. They were walking through the wilderness for like 28 days, and he prayed for food, and this huge pack of wild boar like just walked up to them, and they slaughtered all the boar and had meat. Um, but he eventually was the one that evangelized the entire Irish nation. Yes. It's coming back to me now. Uh, I watched a docu-series about, what was it called? Like the the saving of Western civilization about all those monks, like the monks that retreated to the islands in the North Atlantic. Mm. And this, they would scribe, they kept uh, history alive. They they transcribed um, the books that, it, the, that the rest of Europe was burning at the time. Oh, that's cool. Um, and in that part of that was, so I have a lot of Scottish heritage, uh, but probably some Irish too. Um, 23 me doesn't break it down that way for some reason. But anyway, uh, I think I heard on that documentary that St. Patrick used to roll around in pine needles, like with no clothes on, <laughs> and stand in freezing lakes. You, it was kind of part of that ascetic yeah. tradition. Like he was trying to really kind of strip everything away huh. and, and engage like suffering on purpose in order to dial into to God. I don't know. I could be mixing up my monks, but. Uh, Sounds like something a fifth century guy would do, you know? Yeah. yeah. I don't think he was technically a monk though. Okay. Maybe yeah. not a monk, but whatever you would yeah. call that. A saint. Yep. Patron saint. Yeah. Yeah. 
All right. Well, there you go. St. Patty's Day. There's always a little off the top that's uh, just free for you, so you're welcome. All right. Well, welcome, y'all. And uh, so we have been exploring the three questions. Um, Who are you? What do you want? And where you're going? So the first, uh, actually a couple episodes ago, we talked about identity and explored, kind of took a walk about around that. Um, Yet last time we met, we talked about desire. And today we're going to talk about direction. And I believe Spencer. Yeah. I'm going to read the blog that I wrote. Once again, you can find this blog at our website, valleyheartadventurecompany.com slash blog. Uh, we have three posts up now there. Uh, we're going to continue trying to post there consistently. Um, if you're listening while I'm saying this, go ahead and rate this podcast five stars on whatever you are um, listening on. And uh, then we'll hop right into it. Cool. Let's do it. All right, so this is, once again, from valleyheartadventurecompany.com slash blog. Have you ever been lost? And I mean really lost. One of my favorite things to do when I was younger was to spend the entire day exploring the woods. I grew up in Mississippi, so wilderness was plenty, and there were thousands of acres where I could run wild, set up campsites, and feel as free as I could be. Years of exploration gave me a pretty decent sense of direction, even in those Mississippi forests thick with briars, poison ivy, and pines. It was not uncommon for me to leave early in the humid summer morning, find a random piece of wilderness, and wander until the sky began to purple with the encroaching twilight. I never got lost until one afternoon in Clinton, Mississippi, when a friend and I decided to go explore one of the parks near Mississippi College. I couldn't tell you the acreage of this park, but it was truly immense. And in classic fashion, I was almost immediately drawn off the trail to look at massive oak trees and ruined old farmhouses. These were the days I lived for. I was in heaven. Until we decided that we needed to make our way back to the car and realized that we had no idea where we were. We wandered through the forest searching for familiar trees or trails, but with no luck. We came across field after open field with no distinguishing landmarks to show that we were headed in the right direction. Keep in mind, this was before the era of smartphones. There was no GPS. And back in those days, I usually left my phone in the car, which is amazing. And even if we did call someone, we wouldn't have been able to explain where to find us. Hours later, as the sun was setting in the sky, we stumbled out of the forest onto a road in the middle of nowhere. We walked along the road for a couple of miles before we flagged a passing car and got directions back to the park. We traversed another mile or so back before collapsing gratefully in the seat of my car and driving back to more familiar territory. I was confident in my ability to, tra- to traverse the wilderness, but with no familiar landmarks and no true orientation or direction, I was unable to keep track of where I was. There was another time when I went with a couple of friends to hike the Appalachian Trail. We were doing a little over 40 miles in three days, and the trail was grueling through this particular section. We realized pretty quickly that we were in trouble. The first three water sources on the map that we came across were completely dry. We quickly ran out of of water, and we began to lose hope of finding any on the first day. And it was summer. It was hot, too. I'm just going to throw that in there. We passed other hikers who confirmed our fears. Areas ahead that normally had clean water were completely dry. We were told of a waterfall about four miles off the trail, but that would add eight miles of hiking on a day when we were already planning on doing 18. And this just did not seem like a good decision at the time. As we sat at the crossroads of our path and the trail to the waterfall, a hiker from Poland passed by, going the opposite direction, He told us that a few miles ahead, at the shelter where we planned to sleep, there was clean water. We decided to trust him and stick to the proper direction, and the minute we reached that shelter, we fell down gratefully at the spring and drank our fill of clean water. Isn't that the way of things? At times in my own life, I've been overconfident, unprepared, and disoriented, and it's led to a feeling of being lost. 
and this has driven me to seasons of despair, depression, a sense of meaninglessness, and crippling anxiety. And this is not to say that I get it perfectly now. Orientation is more a practice of daily reorientation. Without intent, I will never aim correctly at the ideals I intend to embody. And if I'm not paying attention, it's far too easy to stray from the path, as the pathway to becoming our best selves is extremely narrow. The path to life is extremely narrow. Where are you going is not really a question of destination as much as it is a question of the mechanisms by which we get there. What do I mean by that? It's not about the terminus of the journey. It's about the way you walk the path. It is a question of values and qualitative distinctions. And in a world that is doing its best to eliminate the concept of objective good, the question about how we should move throughout the world is often lost in the bustle. We want that job now. We want to meet our soulmate immediately. Everything is done at a breakneck speed as soon as possible. A world without orientation toward objective good is a world that is lost in the forest. If we are not conscious of the metaphysical realities, we are drawn off the path at our own peril, just like I was in the park or on the Appalachian Trail. We reject the concept of virtues for the futile sake of not offending anyone. We deny the notion of personal responsibility, and the best we have to hope for is equal misery. Culture encourages this under the guise of freedom, but it is only freedom in the same way as being thrown off a boat in the middle of the ocean and being told that you can swim in any direction you want is freedom. You are free to move about without boundaries, but you are absolutely going to drown. In fact, a life without boundaries is not freedom at all. We have to stay within the borders of the, of the narrow path and point ourselves towards something that is better and bigger than us. We've been lied to, friends. You are not perfect just the way you are. That is an insane and nihilistic way to view the world. It is absolutely unhelpful in the search for meaning. Imagine a world where everyone strove to orient themselves toward what was good and walked boldly down the path in that direction. That is the world I want to live in. Do you want to be fine or do you want to struggle courageously for what is meaningful? I want the latter, and if you are anything like me, so do you. This is the call to true adventure. Truth beckons us on the journey toward a brave, meaningful, and extraordinary life. With that said, what direction should we walk on our journey? Where are we going? I'm still parsing that out, but I do know that the destination is not any more important than the journey. The ends are not any more important than the means. In Dante's Purgatory, uh, one of the greatest works of literature of all time, Dante must climb the mountain to paradise. Along the way are many distractions and many pitfalls that could have been Dante's own if he weren't paying attention to the path and the destination. His argument is to keep climbing the mountain toward heaven. He shows that if we are to take our lives seriously, we should not hold on to lesser things that make the journey more treacherous than it needs to be. As he rids himself of lesser attachments and continues to climb the mountain, he experiences an incredible phenomenon. The longer and higher he climbs, the easier it became to keep going. The burden became lighter. His mind became clearer. His heart became more rightly oriented. What can we learn from this? Climb the mountain. Face the challenge. Walk boldly in the direction you choose to walk, hopefully towards something meaningful, and inspire others to walk with you. Face yourself in the direction of what is good and move forward. Here's my answer to that initial question. Spencer, where are you going? I'm climbing the mountain to paradise, friend. Do you want to come along? Yes, please. Love it. I love writing. Yeah. That's fun. You're good at it. We're all pretty good at it, I feel like. All three of us are pretty good writers. So we should write a book, guys. When we think about the three, again, we talked about the fundamental questions of direction, right? Mm. Who are you? What do you want? Where are you going? Would it be fair to say that who are you is 
consolidating the past. What do you want is defining the present and where are you going is defining the, the future, like long-term legacy. I don't know. I see where you're going with that. I want to say yes. And I'm, I'm intrigued to explore that. Although I don't know if I would divide it up that way in, in all ways, but maybe in some ways that makes sense. Mm-hmm. We, Oh, go ahead. Yeah, you please. Well, I just, it's interesting. We talk, when we were having the conversation around identity, um, one of the things that Brent, you, that stuck out that you said was when I was talking about um, the world doesn't need you as you are now, or it may not need you as you are now. It, it, it needs you as who you could be, right, at, at your best. And you said, I would make the argument that that's the same thing, right? Because who you truly are, hopefully, is who you are in the future, like your best self is who you are. And if you're not there yet, you're just not being yourself. Is that, is that what you were saying with that? I think. So that's a, that's a past, present and future. I think identity cannot be separated from the spiritual realm, which I believe is eternal or or at least outside of time. Mm -hmm. And so I think who you are, there's a consistent thread that goes all the way through linear time uh, and linear time shows change and evolution. Um, but who you are is immutable, I would say in the, in, in, in the, the deepest sense, or at least in the, the, in the dimension that encompasses that one. Right. And I guess in the same way, what do you want is both a question of the path you walk to get to the place where you want the things you want in a hope for a better future. And I think once again, all these three questions can't be divorced from the immutability of things like the infinite nature of things. Right. Because I think at the end of the day, we're all longing for things that we'll never find in completion here, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think direction's the same, you know, it's, it's all of them stack on each other, but they're also all like dancing with each other. All these three questions. Love that. And yeah. and there's this past, present, and future just murkiness. And I don't mean like, by murkiness, I mean, I think it just kind of, it just intermingles. Yeah, not lack right? of clarity, but just there's a thread between all of them. Yeah, yeah. So I, I see what you were doing there. And I think in, an, in a sense, yes. And in a sense, no. As with a lot of good things, it's not as simple as like, this is about the past, about the present, this is about the future. It's about the the mingling of those things, the transcendence of all those things, and because the past informs the present, which informs the future. And also what we think about we want in the future is is also you work backwards toward who you are, right? Mm-hmm. So they all kind of just are doing this thing, right? So interesting thought. And I think so. Yeah, I think maybe yes and no. Right. Mm. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if, where are you going? Again, just like all the other questions, it's a very simple question and it's a thousand miles deep. Right. And so some people have a vision. Uh, they have a vision on, on what they would like to achieve or embody. And then they kind of scrape and claw their way to it or build a program towards that or, or, um, 
you know, kind of break it down into manageable, manageable steps and things like that, or otherwise just grip on for, for dear life and hope they make it there. Mm-hmm. Um, more often than not, where are you going? Oftentimes people don't have that specific vision. Like you said earlier, you know, um, you know, where am I going? Um, I'm still parsing that out. I think you said in that, in that article there. Um, so it's like, you know, but, but you're also willing to be surprised. So I think that's important too. Have I mentioned, and I may have, um, short-term memory is not my thing. So have I mentioned Boyd Vardy here, the lion tracker on the podcast? I don't think so. All right. Well, I'm thinking of him now. Um, there's this guy named Boyd Vardy, 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 I think, uh, Vardy. And he's, a he's a lion, a professional lion tracker over in, in Africa, in the African plains. And, uh, I caught him on a podcast. I think it was Tim Ferriss's podcast recently. And I caught him and of course it was, you know, here's a lion tracker talking to, to Tim Ferriss. I mean, that's, that's clickbait for me. Yeah. So of course I, I, I gobbled it up. And, um, one of the things he was talking about, he was, he was, he's a professional lion tracker. And so literally the guy has dedicated his life to like the mindfulness of nature, like to, um, to dial himself in to, um, how, like all those subtle clues in nature that we're not trained to see. But if you ever know like a woodsman or something like that, like they can tell you all about the trees and what this means and what that means. And, and like the, like nature communicates to you, like it's all the clues are there and we just don't know how to, what to look for. So anyway, um, so he takes these probably wealthy people on safari and they want to see like a real lion, uh, out in the wild and stuff like that. So he's like, all right, come on. Uh, so anyway, so he apprenticed, or I don't know what you would call it, but he, he, um, he, to, to learn this, he worked with a, a native, um, uh, there that, that had been doing this gener- I think, I believe generation, generationally, <clears throat> uh, learning how to do this and passing, passing down the, the tradition. Um, and forgive me if I'm paraphrasing a little bit, some, um, but I think that's the gist of it. And anyway, when he was learning how to track a lion, uh, one of the things that his mentor told him was, um, you know, I don't know where we're going. Like, I don't know where this lion is. I don't know where we're going, but I know exactly how to get there. Mm. And that was the line that just always stuck to me. Like, I don't know where we're going, but I know exactly how to get there. And so I, I, what I wanted to offer that, be, because basically in the mechanism of tracking, you don't need to know where the lion is. All you need to know, and so the lion's like the treasure. The lion's like the vision. Uh, all you need to know is a very, very simple process of orientation mm. and of t- and attention. And so let's say, okay, so he was last, the line was last around these parts and, uh, oh, there's a little snap twig. There you go. So you go to that snap twig. That's clue number one. Great. Uh, and so the line was here, let's say. Uh, great. And so now it's a 300, it's like a 360 degree uh, orientation. So you, mm-hmm. you kind of clean the slate and you reorient, and now you've got this clue that's kind of the center of the circle, and you expand your radii around it. And then you look around, and then eventually you'll see with your, when your eyes are trained, like something kind of floating, something kind of waving to you over here, like some kind of clue. And you're like, ah, there it is. Boom. I'm over here now. So you go to this thing. Uh, same process again. Reorient. 360 degrees, pay attention, notice the signs, and then you go to the next one. So it's like these little stepping stones to get to where you're going. 
and it works every time when you know what you're doing. And so I just wanted to offer that because I thought that was fascinating. <clears throat> and so um, what a teachable thing, you know, mm-hmm. in regards to where are you going? You know, like, I don't know. I don't know, uh, like, what my vision is. And and gosh, I mean, uh, it, when I go back to my life, I, I depending on when you've asked me where I'm going, I, I've had different visions. Yeah. And here I am. So uh, I think that's a part of it, too, that, that provides a lot of people comfort that don't have a real solid vision of where they're going. Um, And I think it's a way more functional way to get where you're going is to learn the system of orientation and and attention. And then step by step, you get there. It's way more organic. Yeah. It seems that way. I actually recently wrote about that because I've been writing this maybe for myself or maybe for others. I'm not sure, but I've been trying to like think about what has been the common thread of good decision-making. And so one of the things I wrote about in regards to something similar to who are you, what do you want, where are you going is, you know, I think about it like the North star, like Polaris. And when people have been traveling to unknown destinations, you know, that's been their litmus test to figure out where are they oriented? And like, it's always that fixed point, right? Like, even if you don't know where you are, you at least know what direction you're facing. And in my, my idea, the North star is answering those questions of like, who are you and what do you want? You know, like having a clear picture of your values and virtues, like that's the North star. So that as you enter into like this trailblazing territory, you enter into new territory, whether it be with yourself, new things you're learning about yourself, or you're making very practical decision-making on like, taking this job, going to the city, you then have like some kind of orientation to look at and say, if I know this is true and I'm at a fork in the road, I can orient myself closer to that, you know? Mm -hmm. And like, that's the thing that keeps you moving. And as you're able to, because it's really hard, you know, like it's, you can look back on your life and go, oh, I see the common thread here. But in the moment it's, if you come to a crossroads, it feels kind of like life or death. But if you have that orientation to at least, even if you don't know where you are or exactly where you're going, that the North Star can at least give you some orientation on heading somewhere in the right direction. Yeah. Dude, that's uh, that's a brilliant metaphor. It's so funny how often like people use the term North Star and it seems like kitschy. But that is, that's, that's deep. That's deep. Like what you said is very, very deep there in the sense that if you have a sense of, as you said, identity and desire, and it's, and it is a true identity and true desire, then you have the courage to walk into unknown territory because that's because you're still within the boundaries of the path. Right. And so where, where we come to an issue is if you have someone, if you're listening to someone who shows you the wrong star, right. Like, let's say someone says, yo, that's the North Star, but that's actually, you know, Venus shining in the sky. And you begin to orient yourself towards that. You're, you're going to be off the path. You're going to be um, walking into territory blind rather than oriented by your virtues and values. You said who you are and what you want. And I think that it goes back to kind of like when this piggybacks off what you said, you know, in the sense that I don't know where we're going, but I know how to get there. In the blog, I talked about... <laughs> Um, 
that, where was it? Where are you going is not really a question of destination as much as it is a mechanism by how we get there, right? It's when we're walking in, in truth, when we're walking in the truth of who we are and what we want, the direction, regardless of the physical place that we end up, we're going to end up in the place we want to be, mm-hmm. right? We're still on the call to adventure. We're still walking that narrow road. And to have that orienting um, body, right, that thing that we can look at and say, okay, this is a new, I, I love in Lord of the Rings when Sam stops when they're leaving the Shire, and he says, this step will be the farthest away from home I've ever been. Mm, yeah, that's right. Right? And from then on, every single step he takes, he's breaking his own record. Right? But he has someone he's following. He has a mission to follow. He's following Frodo. And, and their, their goal is to destroy evil in the fires of Mount Doom. Right? And they don't know how to get to Mordor. But they do have the mission that pushes them on towards the destination. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's really interesting, um, just kind of on that, you know, the ability to pivot, right? Um, I think of jujitsu in this, you know, like I have, let's say I'm in a jujitsu match and my goal is to win, right? Um, I'm not the only one who has a say. The person I'm, I'm fighting also has a say. And I have to be willing to pivot on the path towards victory, right? And I don't necessarily know how I'm going to win, or even if I'm going to win, but I am, I have the goal in mind and I have the preparation in place so that in the moment I can pivot in a new direction and still get to the same destination. Right. Because yeah, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say that because that's probably the biggest practical piece that most people are probably missing in answering that question. Why it's so daunting is because it seems again, so daunting to answer. Because it's not going to be something that you're going to write in stone and the expectation that you are going to, it's going to stay true for the next 40, 50 years. It's naturally going to change. Like you said, like you have to realize that you're going to have to figure out ways to pivot and that the, how we've answered that question, I mean, it changes probably every six months to a year in some fashion and like some major fashion, right? As you're able to define more and more of who you are and genuinely what you want. And as kind of you enter into new territory with new challenges, but also opportunities and you gain additional context and understanding yourself and new opportunities out there that might align, then that question is naturally going to continue to answer. So yeah, sorry, didn't mean to interrupt you, but that's that's absolutely so true. And I, I really just want to drive that point home for people. It's like, the point is just to go ahead and start answering those questions now and to have something there that you can continue to refine because it's going to change and probably quite often. But if you really hit home about who you are and your character and your virtues, that is going to help make sure that it's staying true, mm. you know, and that it's only going to be refined through additional context, not that it's going to be continuously a question of, well, I just don't know. I think it's this now. It's going to be more of like, oh, okay, I, I'm learning this about myself. Or there's this opportunity that I didn't even know existed that is exactly what I was looking for, that I didn't even know was an option. Just know that. Yeah. Let, can I use the metaphor of the promised land real quick, right? Um, let's say the destination is the promised land. We have a general direction 
a general idea of where that promised land is, right? Uh, and the promised land can represent a million different things for us. But for now, let's just say that it represents the terminus of our journey. It's where we would all like to end up one day, where we are, where we've lived our best and most meaningful life, where we've, um, where we've been virtuous and, and valorous and courageous to get there, right? And we may not even have a map of that, of how to get there, or maybe we do. Maybe we have a map. But if you get to, say, a river that's too, right, too wide to cross, right? Um, and I would like to actually ask you a question here in a second. Um, when you get to a river that's too wide to cross, um, but that's the direction you were headed towards getting to the promised land, sometimes you have to be willing to maybe walk along the river for a bit to find a, a more passable area to get across. So it's like the destination remains the same, but the, the method by which we got there had to pivot, though it was still oriented rightly, right? Um, so I guess like, but then even in the, in the Bible, they came to the Jordan River when they were headed into the promised land, and rather than walking across and finding a different route, the river opens up for them, right? When, do, when in your very pragmatic and practical brain, when do you think, when in your life do you say, okay, I'm going to push harder here? Like this is a, this is a point that I'm going to um, push to cross this part of the river or find a different way across the river. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's like the question of when do you find, when do you double down mm. and like put all the chips in, or when do you pivot and take your loss? Right? Yeah, yeah. Pivot, pivot, <laughs> pivot. Nineties. That's for Sydney. <laughs> That's a really really tough question. I think that. You double down when you know, when you're absolutely certain that this aligns closest to you than anything else. Because again, I've been I've been thinking about the the um, means in which I do everything, like legacy, and the the practical senses of what I'm trying to build for the purpose of who it affects. And so that's so integrated at the core. It really, I can feel it at this moment, but if I were to verbalize it and to think through those situations, I know when to double down when there's a major upside. It's about risk and reward, right? Can you minimize risk and maximize reward? And beyond that, when there's so much more to than it just being about myself mm. and it being and it tying more into the recognition of the legacy and who it affects. That's when I know to double down It's because it's not just about me. It's about the things that I've talked about of my virtues and who do I want to be as a person, the legacy I want to have and who that ultimately affects. Mm. I have a, I have something I'd like to speak to on that. Yeah. Because I think that that's a really good point, and this is a good this is a good question to ask. In that, <clears throat> here's a story when when I was in the music industry, um, Sydney and I wrote a song. When I was in the music industry, Sydney and I wrote a song that was smash hit. It was a smash hit, and it was incredible. It was it was one of our best songs yet. 
but I remember that the content of the song didn't speak to who we were as people. It would have been a little bit disingenuous and also it wouldn't, it didn't align with our values. And there were, there were some, there's a difference like storytelling and acting like that is your value. Right. And so we were wrestling with that concept of, do we put out this song that is very clearly one of our best we've ever written um, that may compromise who we are? Or do we trust that, that if we are to remain true to who we are, we'll still end up where we need to be at the time it was, will we still end up, you know, rich and famous country music stars? Obviously that's changed, right? That's not the goal anymore. So we decided not to put the song out. So that would be sort of, you reach a point, you reach an obstacle, right? And to push through there, or I, I, let's, let's say to go off the path to get around the obstacle by compromising our values, compromising who we are, then we're off the path, right? But if we keep pushing, doubling down on who we are and what we want, then we stay on the narrow path. Does that make sense? Yeah, you also have to be honest about, do I have all the information here? When you're running against a wall, sometimes you just got to keep pushing through, and that's like the linchpin of when things, when you have a breakthrough, but you also have to reevaluate when you're running into a wall. It's like you have to evaluate is something off here. It's either something off about how I answer the questions about myself that I need to reevaluate and ensure that this is coming from a true place. And or am I am I thinking through and do I have all the context needed to actually make an informed decision on heading towards the right path, you know? Like maybe in our example of like the North Star, you took a path and now you're reaching a, a kind of a dead end. Then you have to kind of realize, okay, did I have all the context there? Was I truly oriented? Because you can be, again, in uh, in traversing through, you know, uh, wilderness and having a compass. If you're like a slightly off, like a degree off of where you're supposed to be heading, you know, the actual heading that you're supposed to be heading towards. If you're off by just one degree, multiply that by a thousand miles and you're way off target mm. from where you should be. So you do, there is a level of, you have to figure it out as you go along. And it's not a linear path like this. Like we all think that success in life is like, it's more like kind of like this, but if you chart it, it looks like that. If you, if you look back, so there's, there is a part to that to be said, but also you have to re reevaluate at times. Do I have all right? The context here internally and externally. Yeah. Love that. Yeah. It's got me thinking, you know, where are you going is a good question. Also, why are you going is another good question. Yeah. I heard it said that <clears throat> the only thing constant is change. Everything's changing all the time. That's what that's the mechanism of time. And it's beautiful because it, it ushers us into the mechanism of story and character, which can only happen and evolve through time, through linear time. And so, yeah, where are you going and why are you going there? Um, I think could be useful information. Um, yeah, I, I would say that. The, the thing is, too, is... 
you're going somewhere. You're moving. I mean, even right now, we're on this planet that's spinning around, and God knows what kind of velocity. And then that's the the moon spinning around us, and we're going around the sun, and and even our whole solar system apparently is also kind of spinning out in the in the galaxy in the universe. So we're going somewhere. And then, of course, in the deeper layers of the spiritual and the metaphorical and the metaphysical, we're going somewhere. You're going somewhere. Are you conscious? Are you awake? Um, or are you just kind of just mindlessly walking? Because you're going somewhere. And so I, that's the value of the question to me is just check in on that. Where are you going? Why are you going there? Because uh, you're going somewhere. And so how much control you have over where you're going is also another interesting point. <clears throat> For instance, the river. There's going to be there's going to be parts of the journey, obstacles, um, blockades, um, confusion and bewilderment uh, that's out totally out of your control. And so for what you can control for, what are you doing? What mechanisms have you installed um, to stay awake and to stay oriented and to keep your attention true, you know? And then why are you going there? Did someone point to that or did that come from within? Um, I think that's a good question. Just like with identity and desire, there can be counterfeit directions offered to us. Um, and then I think in our fallibility as humans, we can, we can misinterpret or we can fall for, um, the pointer, you know, instead of what he's pointing at, who said it that when the master points to the moon, the fool stares at his finger totally missing the point, you know? So I, I don't know. I'm just kind of playing around with some of that, but that. where are you going? Why are you going there? Because you're going somewhere. Are you aware that you're moving? Hmm. You know, I remember like science class, like you can, you can actually predict where a, a, an object or a body is going to be based on its uh, direction and velocity. You can just, you can predict the future. And so unless something changes or unless something intervenes with that object. And so can you predict yours? I, I can. If I, if I spend enough time with you and, and I begin to take measurements, I can predict where you're going at some level. But yeah, where are you going? And is it the place you even think of? Is it, do you dream about this place you're going, mm. you know, uh, or are you just walking? I think in our culture right now, it's, it's that. I th there's someone said, I think it was, I think it was Zig Ziglar. He said something like lack of time is not the problem. It's a lack of direction. It's a lack of orientation. We all have the same 24 hours. Um, but it's, it's how you spend it, you know, it's how you spend it. And there's, there are days when the best way to spend it is just by resting and there are days when the best way to spend it is by working until the sun goes down, you know. Um, but when you're rightly oriented, when you have the right direction in mind, then that becomes like the mechanism by how you walk towards where you're going is guided by good things, by transcendent things, things that are bigger than you and better than you. And I think as we go back to story, right, 
like good stories do this for us. Um, I was thinking my buddy Stuart, um, just moved to town recently. Love having him here. Um, he, he loves trees. We talk about trees all the time here. Trees are incredible when you really think about it. Um, back when I was in high school, one of those wildernesses we were walking through, we called it Kildare. It's named after a place in Ireland. And, um, it looks nothing like Kildare, but we called it that, you know, and we had a campsite back in the woods and, uh, we would go out there and we tried to build a tree house and we planted some vegetables and we would fish and we would, it was just fun. It was fun. You planted vegetables? We planted vegetables in the woods. It, they didn't grow, but <laughs> you know, we were like, we we're like 15. We're like, that yeah, would, that wouldn't this. have computed into my boyhood woods play. Well, but this, I lo- but this I was like, it did for you. This was our, like our fort, right? This was our place we'd escape to for yeah. to be a fort. But we found this tree out there. It was a cypress tree. And knowing what I know about cypress trees now, it's probably over a thousand years old. And it's in the middle of this random woods where no one goes. Like we found it by accident. We were walking towards the campsite and veered off the path, um, pivoted off the path and found this majestic tree we call the great cypress. And Stuart sent me a picture recently of this, of this tree in Florida that they've confirmed is like 963 years old. It's a cypress tree. And that tree is dwarfed by the great cypress. And so I know it's over a thousand years old. And it's just sitting there in the woods, like a treasure waiting to be discovered. And we only found it when we were willing to explore within the boundaries of the direction of Kildare, our fort, mm-hmm. right? Like we knew where the fort was. And because we knew where the fort was, we were comfortable exploring the wilderness around the fort because we could always get back there, right? And we found the Great Cypress. And recently, we hadn't been out there in, you know, 10 years. Stuart went back out there recently, and he FaceTimed me from the woods. And he was like, hey, help me get to the Great Cypress, right? And so I pointed out other landmarks that we would pass. We had one called the butt crack tree because it it was a tree that looked like a big old butt crack. I was like, have you seen the butt crack tree yet? And he was like, no. I was like, okay, so go back towards the river, right? Or the, the, the creek. And when there's this bend in the creek, that's where you take the left. You'll see the butt crack tree. And then just a little bit farther left is where the great cypress is. And he eventually found it, right? He found it with some trouble. You know, he had to, he had to explore and find it again. And because like there's been some clear cutting back there, he's like, I want to make sure the great cypress is protected. So what he did is he got the exact coordinates of the tree and he sent it to like a forestry agent around there who went out and measured the tree. And now, and now that tree, he said, as long as I'm the, the head of the forestry here, nothing's going to happen to this tree. Did they confirm anything of of like how old it was? Not yet. Uh, They may, they may do that. But so my point is we found it by accident, right? But exploring within the boundaries of the Pearl river Valley, I was able to help Stuart get there with a little bit of trouble. Stuart was able to help get the forestry agent there with ease. It's like, like we're building upon the, the past wisdom of people who have walked the path before us, right? And we can, we can spend our entire lives running around trying to find these treasures, trying to find these landmarks. Or we can listen to the people of the past, listen to the people, the wise people of the past, listen to the stories that are trying to tell us something about who we are. Yeah. You know? 
Does that make sense? Like, where are you going and who are you taking with you? Exactly. Yeah. And and you are able to, like, I think wisdom is the ability to be able to borrow from other people's mistakes without having to make your own sometimes. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. to, to, like, what we found by accident, Stuart found on purpose, and then he was able to more clearly mark, like, a GPS exact coordinate of this tree. So now the treasure is protected by the person who can, and he can go there whenever he needs to. Right. The, the person who needed help then became the explorer or the, the guide. I'm sorry. Yeah. 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 And then just another quick thing about it in, in that Pearl River Valley, there's, I, I don't know, 10,000 acres, maybe a little bit more, maybe a little bit less. And it's public land. You can go explore. And Stuart, knowing the boundaries of this land, has gone out and found other trees that are just as big as the Great Cypress. Within the boundaries, it was like it's like a playground, right? He has he has this playground of boundaries now, but he can go. He felt comfortable exploring because he knows he knows the boundaries, right? And I think where we are as a culture is in this season, or the, the culture right now is telling us that anything goes and anything's good. Nothing's more good than anything else. And no wonder we're all depressed and anxious and wandering about with no aim and no identity but someone else's and no true desire except for what our belly wants in this exact moment, right? Like we, we live, we, that's, it's that like being dropped off in the ocean and being told, oh, you're free to swim anywhere you want, but no one's going to help you. You're going to absolutely drown there. Or it's like asking for directions and the guy responds, does it matter? Mm, yeah. It's not what I need right now. Right, right. And so that's where we are. And I think what this culture, what we need as a culture is to remember that boundaries are good for us. Boundaries equate to more freedom in a weird way. Does that, does that make sense? Like have, having the path laid out before you gives the gives you the courage to explore without losing your direction in a sense that gets you irrevocably lost. Absolutely. Yeah, the to to deny boundaries is to deny reality. <clears throat> We're inside. That's outside. That's a boundary. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, there's in my head and there's out of my head in my body, out of my body, my heart and my lungs are not the same thing. There's boundaries everywhere. So wh- wh- how did it become this thing that, uh, is so divisive? Um, yeah. Yeah. With, with what you were saying, Spencer, um, I do think is an interesting part of the conversation to talk about anchor points or harbors. Like you were talking about, you know, you knew y'all knew that fort, and it was like the anchor point. It was like the the orientation point. And anyone that has done any kind of uh, wilderness orienteering, that's how it all works. You got to throw a, like a stake in the ground, and that's the point you measure from. And then you redial in your compass, um, and so um, then you explore from there. But you can always keep it within eyesight, so that you can, if you feel like you're disoriented or lost, you can always just come back and reset. And so these anchor points or these harbors are really important because if we don't take enough provision with us or don't know how to live off the land or et cetera, I mean, this is, this is part of the audacity and the, 
the wonder of the, the early explorers that would traverse oceans for the first time. I mean, it was like a suicide mission. Even back then, uh, there was a, um, a longstanding belief that the edge of the world is something you could fall off of. And so who are these men that got into these ships? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like what kind of maniacs or not? You know what I mean? Um, and so, yeah, this idea of uh, anchor points or harbors, like places of regrouping and reorienting, I think are really important. And of course, this is how, this is so obvious to us. Um, well, it may or may not be obvious, but this is, this is how we do everything. So you have, you have mom and dad and you have their little kid. And um, that kid is safe with mom and dad, but that kid was born to explore and be curious. And so the kid eventually, if he's safe enough and if it's a secure enough attachment with mom and dad, will begin to explore, like crawl over here, look back, come back, mm. you know. And then, wow, that worked out well. That was safe. And then, then the kid gets a little older, maybe, and going on his journey, and maybe he goes a little bit further. Maybe he's exploring like the backyard now. And then he comes back. Hey, mom. Hey, dad. Look what I found. And then he's restored in that. And then he's like, wow, that turned out okay. He's learning. And so um, if I can do that, then there's something in him or her that compels them to go even further if there's a secure attachment. And so that's what we do is we keep going further and further and further and further out as we're older, um, as we become older. This is the way of life. Um, if, if things are oriented properly and there's a secure attachment at home, if it's safe there, you know, if you have a shire, then you're, then you can go back and you, you can always come back. You can go and you can always come back. And so I think that's an interesting thing that, um, that's the way everything works. We just get older and then eventually we don't need that harbor anymore or the security of our parents. We cultivate our own through our own journey, through mentors or um, uh, colleagues or um, like, you know, reading some or gobbling up some of those breadcrumbs that people have left along the way. That's what we do. We keep going a little bit further out and coming back, a little further out and coming back, a little further out and coming back. And eventually we don't come back in some, in some ways we build a new one. You know, this is the expansion. This is what happens. So, yeah, I mean, you're going somewhere and have you cultivated a secure attachment? Have you, have you cultivated a secure Harbor or secure place or home where you can regroup and you can, then um, go out and explore again. I think that's an interesting part of it. And there's, sorry, go ahead real quick. There's a um, implicit point you're making here in that boundaries are, we're talking about attachment. <laughs> boundaries are important from the inside out in the sense like you move about within this space and it's also important outside in like a national park, right? You have the borders of the national park where it stops the encroaching of outside influence, right? Like there's a, there's a point where we judiciously close our mind or judiciously draw a boundary, right? Where we say this far and no further, like this is to be protected. 
And then when that is protected, when, when, when the borders are protected, when the border is protected, you're safe to move about on the inside of that border with complete freedom. Like mm-hmm. the home, the home. You're safe to move about with complete freedom in the home. And it also keeps out the intruders, the people that would come in to try and steal and take from you, mm-hmm. you know? And the false marketing of like, hey, you want to come here. You want to live in this place. Come here. For some reason, I'm just thinking of Las Vegas, you know? Mm-hmm. Come here, come come live out here. Y'all ever been there? It's an interesting place, but it's it's in the middle of the desert. It's after three days, you've done all that. I would never want to live there. Yeah. Um, no offense, but yeah. So, you know, watch out for those false flags or the false advertisements too about um, people that are wanting you to live somewhere or wanting you to come somewhere. Um, And I think of like, uh, like the city of nihilism. Like the billboards around that city on the highways, like, hey, come here, come here. If you remember when you ever drive across the country, you're always like, hey, like the biggest bale of hay over here, yeah. like biggest ball of yarn, like, come, 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 come. Uh, and that's how like every zombie movie has that too, right? right. Like, come on, hey, the sweet couple, like giving you tea and then they're really just going to eat you. Uh, so the city of nihilism markets itself with the, the, the sales pitch of pleasure. You know what I mean? And it's easy to fall for. And so where are you going? What are you after? Because it's going to lead you somewhere. And you're going to have to live there. You know? And when you have... Sorry. Sorry, Jake. It's okay. This is one sentence. Okay. <laughs> and when you have no direction, no true direction, all there is is pleasure. Like that's the best you can hope for mm-hmm. is that momentary pleasure. But at the end of the day, you're always going to want more and more and more and more, and it'll eat you alive. And that's ultimately the point I was making in all this is you have to, because decision-making is so complex, right? When you come into, when you come to a fork in the road in the journey, like you look at all trying to find clues, right? You look at everything that's in front of you and you have all these situations and pieces of context that you're trying to like put together to try to make some semblance of a, of a good decision based off of what you know to be true about yourself. And then what you know about true about the context of the situation to move forward and, and, and the right decision, whatever that might, might mean. But you have to think about with new territory, first principles thinking applies what do I know to be true? What can I boil down about all the stimuli that I'm getting, all the context that I'm getting? What can I boil down at the very fundamental level about all these pieces of information that I'm getting that I know is true? And that's, that is both an internal marker and an external marker, meaning you have to do that for yourself. You know, as you're answering the first few questions, the first principle thinking, but also in decision-making because it's so easy again to take it, the context of someone else. It's so easy to lie to yourself or to pretend that, um, or talk up a, a particular situation or a person, but you have to think through what is it that I know to be true about the situation and boiling it down to its fundamental basics. And once you have that, you can build off of the truth. That's the fort, you know, 
those are the boundaries. Those are the walls. It's well-defined. You know that you can trust it. And then it gives you the room to explore. Yes. And remember, the truth is a person. Mm. It's a person. And so how do you connect to that? How do you connect to truth? Because if there's not a personality in there or, a, or an experience of a being or a presence, then it's just, a, it's just an idea, I'd say. I think an interesting question in all of this is what do you do when you don't know what to do? So when you're at the fork in the road and, you know, maybe you have a map getting there, but maybe you're at the end of the map now and you're at a place that at least as far as you know, and everyone, you know, this, this is the frontier. How exciting, man, the edge of the world. How exciting, how dangerous. Um, let's, so let's say you got, you go to a fork in the road and this happens all the time and it's left or it's right. Which way? The stakes are high, right? I mean, watching 1883 and, you know, just reminding myself of the Oregon Trail, and that happened over and over. These different passes through the mountains people would take different times of the year, and they're just trying to figure it out and trying to beat winter and um, just amazing, amazing epic part of our history uh, here. But a lot of them didn't make it. They, you know... some sometimes no fault of their own oftentimes actually that they they just this one feels right this one logically makes sense um but yeah what do you do when you don't know what to do how do you orient how do you i think maybe i'm leaning into the space of intuition and so do i go left or do i go right what do you do what do y'all do how do you figure that out that's my question in conversations I've had with other people, close friends, I've had a few of those the past few months where, you know, it's like a major decision in their life, whether it be about career or something of that nature. Again, high risk, high reward. I feel like most of those forks in the road are, they feel really difficult, and very uncertain, and there isn't much clarity. But when I talk to other people, or even if I just break it down myself in my own decisions, a lot of it's built up. And I think we just overwhelm ourselves. But in the moments where I've been able to walk along somebody in these situations, friends, if I know them well enough, all I have to do is speak truth of who they are and like the things that they've said that they want in regards to legacy and virtue. And then that fork in the road really becomes clear on like, oh, it's that, that decision. Like nothing else. I didn't provide any additional context. I didn't do anything. It's just a reminder of who they said they are and who they, what they believe. And then all of a sudden the path becomes so clear. It was there the whole time. And I think you said that in, in therapy, it's like that person walks in with everything that they need. Yeah, that's right. But like as a therapist, your job is just to get to know them and to remind them yeah. who they are. That's then right. it becomes clearer. Now, I want to hear what you have to say, but before, if I may. Yes. You were just at a fork in the road in a big way in your life. We've talked about it here at this table. 
how did you know which way to go? Because you had a family with you, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, that's not a decision to be made lightly. So how did you know? How did you choose the path? Because it turns out with the, with the little bit of hindsight established so far that it, it turns out that it's, it's agreeing with you, this path. So you chose yeah. well, maybe, let's say, at least as far as we can see. Yeah. So far, so good. So how did you do that? I found the freedom in boundaries. You know, it's like the most beautiful art comes from the most, the most boundaries you can give yourself, right? Like when, if you just go into uh, a drawing or painting and you have no direction or no boundaries to like force yourself to really think through a situation, then you're not going to have anything that's beautiful or anything that really speaks to anybody. But when you say, you know, I'm only going to use charcoal, I'm only going to do this, that refinement of, of boundaries gives you so much more of a playground to, to run around. Mm. And so for me, it's like I, I went back again to my legacy and virtues and where I wanted to go. And I knew based off his, historically the jobs I was in, I could see into intuitively where my energy levels were based off of different jobs and things I disliked and liked. So I just built up a persona of this is, these are things that I enjoy. This is what gives me energy. I need to refine the search for a new job to be surrounding those qualities. And there was, it was up there, you know, it was like, it was like a skip, skip level, you know, a level or two. So it was really aiming high, but I'm like, if I can get this to work out, this will be totally worth it because I know these things to be true. I've been into intuitive enough to know my energy and know if I can build towards that, it'll be worth it. If I can build towards a company with these kinds of qualities, it'll be worth it. And so then, then at that point, it was just walking. Then you don't overthink it. You just have to start moving and then things will naturally shake out and opportunities will come and go. Um, and then for me in this situation, the right job, like I prayed for clear direction and I had like starting off, you know, dozen or more opportunities slowly they all just kind of shook out even jobs that i was clearly qualified for just fell through and there's only one and it was the best one amazing so orienting yourself around your values understanding your legacy doing research checking out options and praying yeah is how you did it and energy Uh, it sounds so hoity-toity because hear about like gotta find you know different vibration i don't know what i think about that all all that but i think there's some validity but ultimately whether it be vibration or just internal energy you feel it man you feel when you do something that even might seem mundane to others but it gives you energy you're hitting gold there you know there's something to be said about Mm. uh finding like just just doing different things that that bring you energy. Now, I think that's why a big part of it is you have to find more context. An 18 year old not gonna, is going to change their major multiple times, right? Because they're trying to make a decision based off of zero context. How are you supposed to know what you want to do for the next 40 years when you've only lived one year on your own, maybe, Mm -hmm. or if not at all, 
you, you haven't ventured anywhere to make any decisions. So it takes gaining as much context as possible. And those are the, those are the people we ship off to war. Right. Yeah. You definitely get context after that. Here's an adventure for you. Right. Yeah. So you have to, you have to gain context. So you have to go out and do and try and see, you know, explore. That's part of it. Love that. Spencer. Yes. <clears throat> you're at a fork in the road. What do you do when you don't know what to do? Mm. I want to speak to one thing real quick and then I'm going to go into that. So I love how you talked about the boundaries of art. Um, I studied music in college and the reality is you learn the rules so you can break them when you need to. Right. It's like jazz. It, yes, exactly. Jazz, jazz is, it's a playground where the rules are fluid. Right. But there are still rules because you can like, there's nothing more postmodern to me that the fact that there is a group of people out there that pretend to like industrial noise as music. Like they don't, they don't like that. They pretend they do noise core or whatever it's called. I don't know. But the, the reality is that when you place a structure where then you have bounds through which you can play, you can create something beautiful. Um, chord progression, harmonic, right? Harmonics. Um, even the weird atonal music of the early 20th century, they had rules they played by, at least the good ones. Um, they'd use like chromatic. It was almost like they, they could draw out a diagram of where they would use certain notes here. Right. And even though you couldn't find the tonal center, it was, it wasn't necessarily beautiful music, but it was effective music because it still had boundaries around it. Right. So I think that's really important. I think that we can't get past that. Right. We can't get past boundaries as a, a huge aspect of freedom, true freedom. Um, I've talked about this before on the podcast, but it makes more sense now. Uh, it was a conversation I had once again when I was about to step out of the music industry with my with my counselor at the time, um, Chad, who I'd love to get on here at some point. Um, he said something to me um, about the music industry, and you know, I was at I was at a true crossroads right in my life, and he said, Spencer, no one gets to the top with their family and their integrity intact. He said, you have to decide if those are prices you're willing to pay for this dream. No, they're not prices I'm willing to pay. There's your answer. You have a path this way. You have a path that way. This doesn't line up with who I want to be, who I am and who I want to be. This doesn't line up with what I value. So we can write off that path completely. You know, at that point, it made it very easy. I remember, and I, I said this again on the podcast before, in that moment, I felt a literal weight come off of me mm -hmm. in my body. My, like the feeling within my corporeal form changed because suddenly I was free of that decision because the decision was made for me. I could not in good conscience walk down this path knowing that that was the case, Right. This was the path for me. It was very clear. And I'm not saying it's always that clear, but that was just a very, very powerful moment for me where decision-making in this case, there's, there's a clear right and wrong. There's this and there's this. One of them aligns with who you are. One of them does not. I can keep walking down this road 
And in 30 years, I'll probably be dead. I'll probably be an alcoholic. I'll probably be, you know, whatever, you know, and then this, this direction moves me towards a meaningful life that I value. And it's not easy. The road is still hard because life is hard, but the decision was not hard in that moment anymore. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, I, this is a little bit of an anecdote, but I'd like to, this also goes off of something that Chad said. He said, quitting is not taking a new direction. Quitting is not taking a different fork in the road. Quitting is stopping at the crossroads and just having a seat. And I think, had y'all know the story of Robert Johnson? I don't know. The BJ? Blue, the blues artist. Oh, Bobby J? <laughs> <laughs> tell, yeah. me, tell us. So this was, he was alive in like the early 1900s. And this was, you know, the Delta, Mississippi. This is when the blues was getting sort of popular. And uh, Robert Johnson, he played guitar, he wrote songs, but he wasn't really that good. Um, he was not really a great guitar player, not really a great singer, not a great songwriter. Um, he would play at these juke joint taverns and, and you know, nothing special was coming out. There were just a ton of other more talented people. The story goes, and who knows how much of this is true, right? The story goes that he disappeared for a couple months. And when he came back, suddenly he had the greatest blues songs anyone had ever heard. Um, one of them you all know very well. I went down to the crossroads. Crossroads mm. was written by Robert Johnson. And that song tells the legendary story of how he became good at music. He went to the crossroads and he sold his soul to the devil. I've heard that story. So there's something about the crossroads. He went there, and I think I think if I remember correctly, the the legend is that you you like bury something at the crossroads, and then you make a deal with the devil there. What isn't it funny that it's a crossroads, right? Mm -hmm. That you stop in the middle of the crossroads, and that's where you sell your soul to the devil. And he came back, and he had everything he wanted for a second, right? And then he died really mysteriously, very very young. Um, and so whether or not any of that is true, who knows? There are even two grave sites for Robert Johnson. It's, no one knows which one's really him, but, but it's, I think it says something, right? It says something about, about what we're speaking to here. Um, first off, he thought he knew what he wanted. He thought he knew who he was, he thought he knew where he wanted to go. He gave up everything for it at a crossroads. And then he paid for it with his life. So, interesting. Hmm. It's very interesting. I have heard that story before. And I heard it too, uh, spoken about Jimi Hendrix. <clears throat> Similar story. Maybe, probably not true. Who knows? Or maybe it's truer than true. But, yeah. I've never, I've never heard that about Jimi Hendrix, but I'll, I'll definitely research that. That's interesting. Very interesting. Yeah, man. What about you, Brent? When you're faced with a decision... I would say, first and foremost, I live for those moments. I love being at a crossroads, man. How exciting. Um, yeah, there's a few things I'd offer that I've learned, picked up along the way. Um, well, let me start this way. I, had, I have a mentor who told me once, um, when you're at a fork in the road, pick up the fork and eat. <laughs> that's just kind of how he works. 
Uh, and yeah, first I'm like, what the hell does that mean, George? Uh, and then he, uh, the longer I live, the more I'm like, oh, yep, you're right. I love that. Yeah. And, and to your point, um, sit down. Uh, yeah, pick up the fork and eat. So when you're at a crossroads, um, the worst thing you could do is just an impulsive decision. Uh, and so what I would offer is first and foremost, just pause, sit down and eat, nourish yourself. Makes me think of Jesus at the well. He had to eat in days and his disciples go away to get food. And, you know, Jesus is having that moment with the woman at the well and the disciples come back and like, here you go, rabbi, here's your food. And he like rebuked him. He was like, I have food you don't, you know nothing about. Mm. He was nourishing himself on something. So I would say that's something very profound and deep. Um, eat, eat, nourish yourself, uh, whatever that means for you. And then I say a couple other things. I would say, uh, intuitively check in with that space. And maybe that's the same thing for me is what it means to sit down and eat, but check in with that intuitive space inside of you, your gut, the house of your intuition, your internal compass and which path, which path do you feel the peace? Where's the peace? Cause you can't fake peace. So if I go down this path, do I feel peace? If I go down this path, do I feel peace? I would say follow the peace. And another way to say that is follow the butterflies. Those are down in your gut too. And so in your gut, the body shows up. In your gut, it's butterflies or ulcers, isn't it? And so ulcers have to do with peace or lack thereof, and butterflies have to do with desire. Follow the butterflies. What are the things that tickle? So which path are you looking down that it's, it makes you kind of giddy? What's that? I follow that. I follow that kind of stuff. And usually the peace and the giddy are right in the same space or in the same direction. So I'd say that that's an interesting one. I heard it said recently um, that there's a story in the Talmud about um, a, you know, a, someone who comes uh, to a fork in the road and there's a, there's a boy there that um, is standing at the fork in the road and he said, hey, which way do I go? And the boy said, you can go whichever way you want, but that path, um, you can take the short path that's long or you can take the long path that's short. Have you all heard this story? Mm -mm. And so he's like, great. So I'm going to take the, the short path that's long. Thank you. On his way. And he comes back like licking his wounds um, a little while later. And he's all cut up because the short path was full of briars and full of um, all kinds of gnarly obstacles. And so... He's like, now I understand. And he took the other road, the long path that's short. And so what's easy in the short term is usually the harder thing in the long term. And what's that's the, that's the pattern of addiction. What's easy or what's hard in the short term is oftentimes easy in the long term. That's the pattern of discipline and wisdom. And so, yeah, so I think that's an interesting story in regards to a fork in the road is don't go for the low hanging fruit, the easy, what looks easy because the a healthy person lives in the long term context. That's the, that's the context of wisdom. 
So I think that's an interesting story. Um, yeah, follow the peace, follow the butterflies. And then I think what I would also offer is there is a, a um, way to check in with your intuition that I've learned um, that you all may know about. But um, have you ever heard of like the sway test? So you basically, I wish I could, I, I would stand up and show you, but um, basically you stand up, you get yourself kind of centered, like forward and back, kind of no, notice yourself rocking forward, rocking back, and you just kind of get yourself in a centered and grounded space. You put your hand on your solar plexus and you, you pose a binary question, a yes or no question. And, you know, should I, like, do I take the left path? So you look down the left path, you feel your your solar plexus, your gut, the house of your intuition. You ask the question and then you notice what happens. And the body, which always tells the truth, is, is either going to subtly lean forward or subtly I'm back on my heels. Mm. And the, how the device works is if you lean forward, that's the body's way of saying I'm open. Yes, this, this feels okay. And if you lean back, there's something going on where it's like, mm -mm, it's a defensive posture. So I've used that many times to answer questions. Um, it's kind of your own little, uh, uh, what is that, that little eight ball? that your Magic eight ball. The yeah. magic eight ball. You have your own little magic eight ball in your, in your stomach. Uh, so I would say that's something I do often is uh, I'll pose those questions and oftentimes I'll notice that that's really interesting. I actually know what to do. Yeah, I feel like, again, we spoke about this a few weeks ago, is it's about answering the questions, who are you, what do you want, so that it becomes so intuitive that you don't even really really have to think about it anymore. Like, you you just feel it, you know, you feel it in your gut. What I want to pose, a question I want to pose to you is, I know that you you recently came out of a harder season at the beginning of the year, you know, and you took it on as a challenge. Like you and you were going into it knowing I know what I need to get out of this. And you, it was the harder path. It was the longer path for you, but you knew exactly where you needed to go, how you needed to traverse it. And it worked out exactly as you thought, you know, and how you conquered it. How did you know? And so help me understand, because I've made a few decisions in the last, which, what are you specifically referring to? I was trying to be vague. I mean, you have, you know, February is a tougher month for you, right? And I uh, think it was, right? Yeah. It was kind of going through that, whether it be seasonal or whatever, you know, that, that harder season, the harder month. But you saw it coming, you know, you saw it coming and you knew, oh, it's it's coming towards me, but I, I know what I need to do this time. Got it. Yeah. If so you don't mind me sharing again, I guess that's kind of a fork in the road. Um, in some ways, and it's also not a fork in the road in some ways. I, I think the fork in that way would be, um, do I engage this or not? Right. That would be the fork. And, and I chose to engage it. And what, what we're talking about, I don't mean to be cryptic. Um, uh, and just, you know, this is personal stuff, but also, you know, in the, in the spirit of authenticity, what, what, what we're speaking about is my father is dying. And so, um, I also have a, a brand new baby boy. That's his grandson. 
And um, my, my dad lives out in Oregon, so we went out to, you know, we rushed out there uh, to, to make sure that, because, you know, we're going to be out there next month. We had this planned trip for his birthday coming up, my dad's birthday. Um, but he may or may not be there, uh, at least in the way that we understand what it means to be here. So, uh, so we rushed out to, to make sure that, that he could hold his grandson and his light and he could feel and embody that legacy with whatever wits he has left. Um, is that, that's what you're referring to? I don't even know if it's that situation. Don't you, is it you that has the seasonal, you, you have like around the beginning of the year, a moment where you usually have to like retreat and, and battle through some seasonal depression. Yeah. So seasonal affective disorder, um, however much you buy into that, you know, when it's gray outside, it affects my mood and February is like the grayest month. Um, especially growing up in Ohio. Um, and that's been, so I, so every February is like, Oh man, I'm a summer baby, you know? So every February it's like, all right, let's just, let's just grin and bear it. This is a hard part of the river. Let's go every year, you know? And so having a disposition towards, um, melancholy and depression, especially if it's gray and, and bleak out, um, I have to lean into that month every month. And then that's compounded by, uh, uh I have a sister who committed suicide, in February, um, in 2014. So since then it's been like, let's just get through it. Uh, cause there's like an annual part. Of, there's like a grief anniversary kind of deal. So that was, um, compounded by my dad's dying this February. Great. So I think the, the way that I would lean into that, um, and the way that I did do it, <clears throat> thank goodness for this. Not thank goodness. Thank God. Um, is God has wired me in a certain way and he's refined this through, um, through my experiences over and over, not perfectly. Um, but over and over and I'm getting better at this is when I see a storm coming, um, I don't try to get away from it anymore. It's all in there. Suffering is the door to heaven. Jesus led the way showing us that. And so, um, I heard this story actually yesterday that actually makes this point. I think beautifully, um, the difference between cows and buffaloes, not buffaloes. Is it buffalo? Mm-hmm. Like plural? Bison. 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 Oh, okay. Man. The difference between cow, a cow <laughs> and a buffalo. <laughs> <laughs> um, when cows see a storm, they run away from it and depend. And so that storm's coming. And they run in the opposite direction. And that storm is moving faster than they are. So the storm catches up to them and they're running in the same direction as the storm. And so they end up being in the storm for quite a long time. Buffalo, in their wisdom, they see a storm coming and they run towards it. And they're running in the opposite direction of the storm. So the storm's passing them. So they're passing this way. And they hit the storm first, but they but the duration of the time that they're in the storm is much less. And I heard that yesterday from a good friend of mine. And it just, yeah, that's it. That's the picture. And so I, I thank God for this, that I'm wired this way. Um, but when I see a storm coming, I just run right into it now. Let's get it over with, man. Let's go. And in fact, it's kind of an adventure too. You don't have to enjoy it, but there's something in there for you. There's something in the storm for you. And, and all- I think that's what I was hitting at. Cause you mentioned earlier that you're like, 
it's it, it can be exciting and and yeah. as i was seeing you gear up for this like hard hard season that was the fork in the road that i saw like it switched for you you're like no nah, i'm doing it different this time and there's like such a challenge and like a warrior's mentality of like no 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 i i, I know yeah. what i need to be i know what i need to do i remember telling y'all it was at a 400 mm-hmm. i remember telling y'all i'm not going anywhere i feel this thing's coming i'm not going anywhere I'm planting my feet, uh, and I'm glad I did. Um, How did you know is, I guess, my question, because that was like, that was the fork in the road for you of making decision of how to, how to accept this and bear this load, you know? How do, how do I handle this? Because there's been different ways you've handled it historically, but you knew deep down this time, now it's going to be different, and you saw it coming, and you knew exactly what you needed to do, you came on the other side exactly as you thought. So how'd you know? Yeah. It wasn't different. February sucked. It wasn't different. Um, I just accepted it and leaned into it. And I've been through enough storms to know that there's nothing to be afraid of. You might get hurt. You might suffer. But even those experiences, when dealt with skillfully and in in the in God's abundant mercy, um, they're not bad. They're not wrong things. So, I love storms, man. When when there's a storm cooking outside and the, th- the thunder's rolling and you know the the lightning's going and I'm just about to sing a Garth Brooks song, but um, I love it. Like my soul is so excited for that. Like when if there's a tornado coming and everyone's freaking out, I'm excited. That's and I don't mean to be in like a foolish way, like um like I'm gonna put my family in danger, but um I don't know what it is. It just lights me up, man. I'm just like I'm more awake. So I, I don't know if it's just the way I'm wired for that, but um also having tumbled through many storms in my life, not perfectly, and some of them nearly killed me. Um there's just nothing to be afraid of. There's just nothing to be afraid of, man. And and I and I lean heavily on uh, the presence of the Lord, who's with me and never leaves me. And that He also promises me that I'll never taste death. And so, uh, honestly, um, that is a, I think a big part of my superpower maybe is, um. I know how the story ends, so it's going to be okay. And the more times I've been through grief in particular, the more I know that that's true. It starts out as horrifying and awful and bewildering, and you kind of you kind of roll through it for a while, um, trying to stay oriented and connected. Um, and every time I've been through grief so far, in a long enough, when when enough time has passed, it's always, it sounds so like a fortune cookie, but it's always a, a gift. It's always a gift. And so, yeah, I would say that's part of, I mean, I just kind of answering out loud. That's part of what got me through this February. And it wasn't that February was awesome. It sucked. It was probably one of the worst ones in some ways. And it was all, one of the best ones in some ways too, because I got this little baby boy and a really special time in our in Lacey and my marriage and so yeah I would say um 
uh, yeah, I think I've, I've said it all. Thank you. Cause that's, I think that's an example of bearing the responsibility of vent- venturing out into the unknown, you know, like, it, go yeah. ahead. If you run right into the storm, it's better. Unless you can somehow shelter or something. But if you run right into the storm, it'll be over sooner than later. You know what I mean? It's like if it, if there's pain coming, <sighs> all right, just give it to me. Just give it to me, man. Let's get this part over with. Um, why do we run from storms, man? Why? I think it's in our nature to to fear the chaos. But I think the the wise man is like the one who's found peace is unaffected by the chaos, you know, like it's in here. That's what I was, what I've recently been thinking about is like finding peace and externalities, not being any part of that. Yeah. Peace is a compass, right? In a sense, in a sense, it's like, like if our heart is is longing for peace, longing for Eden once again, then we're going to be pulled towards that. It's like magnetic, right? And removing the externalities that pull us off or or begin to like take that needle of the compass and like ah, let's go this way. I want I want this momentary thing. I want this hedonism. I want this. It's, it's all just delaying. You're going to be in the storm longer. It's all just delaying the, your arrival, the terminus at the place that you want to go, the place you want to end up. Mm-hmm. And it is, it is not freedom to remove every boundary from your life. It is not, it is not freedom to say there's no good. It is not freedom to say that there's nothing that transcends you or is better than you or something that you can orient yourself for or embody. That's the opposite of freedom. So in to tie it all up, I guess in our search for direction, it we're guided by the truth of who we are, the truth of what we want. We keep the destination in mind while also being willing to pivot when we need to, because we have the boundaries in place that allow us to play and explore with the destination still in the future. We have our fort, we have our Kildare, we have our, our shelter, we have our home. And as you know, you were talking about attachment theory, um, which I've been learning, I'm in family counseling right now with my class I'm in, in grad school. And we've been learning a lot about attachment and having that fortress that buttresses out the, the people that are coming in to steal, kill and destroy everything's good. Um, having that and being able to reach out just a little bit farther, testing the waters like this, this is still good. This is still good, but I can always come back when I need to, to rest, to pick up the fork and eat. I love that. You know, that's great. Um, so destination or yeah, destination is informed by our identity and our desire, right? It's kind of conclusion we've come to. If you don't think you know where you're going, maybe 
Maybe. It doesn't matter. Maybe, maybe you know how to get there. We're climbing the mountain to paradise, friends. Y'all want to come along? Sure. Who are you? What do you want? Where are you going? This has been the 0400 podcast. Keep dreaming. Keep dreaming. Keep dreaming.